0: I'm Charlie Melcher, founder of the Future of Storytelling. and It's my pleasure to welcome you to the FOSS podcast. My guest today is J.R., a French artist and photographer who prints large-scale portraits and pastes them in public locations around the world, from the suburbs of Paris to the slums of Brazil. Some of his best-known projects include Guns in America, talking mural and Time Magazine cover about gun control, a large-scale pasting at a maximum security prison, and a gigantic installation at the U.S.-Mexico border. After winning the TED Prize in 2011, JR created Inside Out, a global participatory art project that helps communities to make a statement by displaying large-scale black-and-white portraits in public places. His latest project, JR Reality, is perhaps his most ambitious yet. Partnering with SuperBlue, the innovative experiential art enterprise, and AR Pioneers Niantic Inc., he's created an augmented reality platform that enables anyone with a smartphone to add their voices and their stories to geotagged locations throughout their city. Currently available in New York and coming soon to Miami and elsewhere, the app makes it easier than ever for communities to share their stories and leave a lasting impression on their surroundings. It's truly a privilege to speak with JR today about this project, the creative process behind it, and what it means for both him and for the world. Please join me in welcoming JR. JR it's such an honor to have you on the Future of Storytelling podcast bienvenue merci <laughs> We're excited to have you here something that i've always loved about your work is the collaborative nature and this new project you're doing the JR reality which is a kind of augmented reality project has the potential to become the largest digital collective art project in the world how can people participate in this new AR project
1: well, you know, in the process of all my projects, it's really super easy. And for the regular insider projects, people would use our website, upload photos, and then we would print them and ship them back to them so they can paste them. But I wanted to go a step further for two reasons. One is because this way people can do it instantaneously. You know, they can just be at some place, use the app, take their portrait on the app, and then say, I want it here, this place floating in the street. I want it to join this wall with other people. And so all those virtual wall, floating murals started, started appearing everywhere. But a great thing about it is that people can record their story with it. Mm. And that's one thing that I realized over the years doing those Chronicles project. The Chronicles project is murals I've started doing a couple of years ago where I depict an entire community. So sometimes 800 people, 1200 people, of a city, of a neighborhood, of uh, around a subject. And and you see everyone like, you know, like a puzzle next to each other, but you can click on every single person and hear their story. And I realized how powerful is that part of people recording their story, how they want to record it, not me asking them questions, really just what they want to share. And this is the first way with the app, actually, to have that possibility that Within the inside-out project, people can actually record a story.
0: So people will download the app, and then they are prompted to include an image, to record their story, and to geotag it to a particular location.
1: Exactly. And then the viewer, the their people can either walk around and find some murals. They can also, from home, just click and start listening Oh, what are the issues that are people are talking in New York City, in San Francisco, in France, in wherever. Like they zoom in and they'll see like a map of the world where it would pop from all of those places. And so it's very fascinating because you know what, when we started doing this project, you realize it's the same thing always. It's just portraits and we send it to people. But depending on the context and where people live, People have very different message. They don't live in the same reality somehow. And so that's often because we all live in our little bubble is, is, is a great way to understand, you know, the world through the voice of the people.
0: You mentioned that this is somewhat inspired by the Inside Out community storytelling project that you started after winning the TED Prize. What was your journey from Inside Out to this new digital evolution of it? Like, how did What inspired you to
1: do it this way? Well, you know, since 2011, with the team here in New York, we actually send more than half a million portraits. So it's millions of people who have helped pasted and communities gathering. So it really became a movement. And our journey through that was realizing that it's infinite. The project doesn't belong to us anymore. It's part of... The people, like, that. I stop it or not? It doesn't matter. People are still doing it. They can print by themselves if they want. It's, you imagine a black and white portrait, just, you know, just a face, and on the background you have some dots. And that just is a way to, like, recognize the that it's part of the art project. Some people do it just with a white background. We, we don't force the dots, but it's usually people love to use them because then right away you recognize them in the street and um, you create a coherence between the portraits. But I would say the journey was that, was realizing that there were so many people around the world in so many different countries wanted to express themselves, that while some people were doing it in primary school, you know, and and uh, high school wanted just to express themselves, or, and some others were fighting for their rights during the revolution in Tunisia, for example, and replaced all the photos of the dictator by their own photo. Or like marching in places where they get arrested and go to jail for it. So in some places, it's welcome as art. In some others people went to jail for it. So it's just that same piece of paper. It just doesn't have the same meaning. And it's just just a portrait. So it's very interesting. We've been, you know, observing that, helping communities around the world to to participate. That's what the team do uh, upstairs here all day, talking every language and helping people just to navigate. But most of the project, actually, people don't even, they just figure it out by themselves. They go on the website, they're like, oh, okay, Oh, this is free, or I can even give a donation and pay for it. Um, we just want people to gather people around them to do it. Right. So right now you need to be between 30 and 50 people uh, so that it's a group. And that forced them to think, and to, oh, let me talk to that person, let me talk to this person. And then when they find the wall, they say, oh, they have to ask this person for the wall, this guy for the ladder, this guy to help for the glue. And I realized that that's the power of the project. It's not that the photos are beautiful, it's that it gathers community, and that it's those you know it's those connections that actually create such an impact.
0: So this AR project is the first time that you're moving from paper and glue, because even inside out ended up with paper and glue, yeah. to pixels and geotags. What excites you about augmented reality as a, as a medium to work in?
1: In my work, I've been pasting on walls, then I've been building scaffolding of a building to then use the city as just a, a playground. And now there's another, it's like someone telling you, hey, wait, there's another layer now that you can use, which is anywhere. And that's actually, you know, pretty insane. I just, uh, the one thing that I realized I was like, okay, that's fun, but I still want people to go in the street and, walk around right. and point their phone to somewhere, but at least it will force them to walk that place to see the mural. Right. And so to me, it's very important that, that there's still this need to go and see by yourself, because that's when you change your perspective about an issue, the world, the community. And that's a very powerful way of changing the world, just by changing the perspective you have on it. But for that, you need to go see it. And just for something random, and, and, and then you'll have interaction, you'll talk to some people, you maybe struggle finding it and someone will help you. The journey to it is always the important part.
0: I feel some real uh, affinity because I'm also somebody who started in um, paper and ink and glue, uh, making books, yeah. and then made a transition to making things that are digital. In fact, uh, I've been working on an augmented reality uh, game or app right now with Niantic also. Um, uh, Niantic Labs is the company that you yeah, collaborated with exactly. to make this. They're the world's best at AR. Yeah, uh, clearly. you know, we, Everyone knows them from Pokemon Go yeah. AR, which was that international phenomenon, billions of downloads and plays. And I'm so honored to have John Hankey, who's the CEO of Niantic Labs, be part of the Future of Storytelling community. Tell me about your process of collaborating with Niantic. And here's the trick question. Do you think that AR games are the new form of art?
1: Well, there's two things. Working with them have been an amazing process because you know we were so... Uh, new into this mm, yeah. <laughs> we just knew the the power of art and, and 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 the power of getting people together but we had to find a way to translate that so there's been a lot of back and forth a lot of work and 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 trial and still we still have a long journey because with technology everything's progressing every day so yeah. to me it's not the necessity just the future it's just that it's becoming a form, part of like what's possible out there. There's so many forms possible. It's just that suddenly this form is taking a real part of the art world and of you know, what you can imagine uh, in terms of, okay, you can create an artwork that's physical and then you can continue in augmented reality. There's so many layers. It's just add a dimension mm-hmm. to it. And, and, and that's, to me, the beauty is that you've been working on something for so long and then you're like, oh, wow, there's a new dimension coming. I think one of
0: the big challenges though for for artists and storytellers who have historically created their thing, done it just how they want to do it, and then put it out there. And you know, the audience either likes it or they don't, but it's done and it's fixed. Mm. But here you're creating, in in a way, the ultimate like handing the mic over, the paintbrush over to the public. What have you learned about collaborating with the public, you know, with, with other people to make art?
1: Well, it's a very important point. You know, When uh, in 2011, I had to think about that project and imagine it of like, okay, how do I give away my process to people? Right. And it's very intimidating to do that. I had involved many people over the, the past years when I started constantly, but to suddenly say, no, no, you know what? You can do it by yourself was a huge step and it was not easy. And we learned a lot from that. Of course, at first people say, well, but you know, are you not afraid that extremists and people who want to send the wrong message use it and then suddenly you become a platform for that? And I say, it's true, it's a possibility. But then what's the other side of that is that I would have to select project and say, well, you know, I like this project, I don't like that one. Who am I to decide that? So I just had to take the risk and we say, Those are the rules, you know, you you need to be not attached to a brand, not attached to an organization. It needs to be your projects, an idea, a message you want to share. And to get it out there will help you that you have the money or not to do it. But it could be anything. It would be just because you love the color blue or it would be to fight for your right. And we won't judge that. We'll help you no matter what. The first couple of years, people were also wondering, well you know, we saw your project in Peru and I've never been in Peru, for example. I would love to go. I just haven't had the chance. But they say, yeah, but it was just small posters. We I mean, they're pretty big, but compared to the size I usually do. And I said, oh, no, no, those are the those are people that are inspired by my work and did their own project with their own message. They went and paced them. It's their photo. For the first couple of years, people had a hard time understanding that. And now I knew it would be a long-term thing. And now that we're like more than a decade later, People understand that. And it's good. I think when there's a more risk to fail than to succeed, that's why it's interesting. And as artists, that's, that's the road we should take.
0: I've heard you mention that fear is an important part of the process. Like you often, you've put yourself in places that can be a little dangerous or challenging. Not, not obviously for this AR experience, but uh, in some of your previous projects. And I've often thought that fear is one of those things that's um, underrated people want to stay away from it. But in fact, it can be incredibly motivating in the creative process.
1: To me, I try to embrace it. I, you know, I remember when I started, people always tell me, you know, oh, okay, that. Was, that's, I love that project, but what are you going to do next? You know, and it's, I'm sure you're also doing so many projects. People are like, oh, that's great. I loved your new project. But what are you doing next? And, you know, it's a very hard question because then you feel, oh gosh, it took me so long to arrive to that. And now, actually, what's next? And I realize that I enjoy the fact of not knowing what's next. Mm-hmm. Being in the unknown, that means it's so much more possible than just knowing everything that's going to happen in the next 10 years, 20 years. I, I, I imagine you're like me, which
0: is you like being at the beginning of a learning curve. Exactly. As opposed to being at the top. Well, then exactly. it's boring.
1: <laughs> exactly. And, and of course, things are, needs to have a process and a beginning and an end, but sometime. I love when the process is a bit longer, when the process is a bit more complicated, involve involves more people, it's more painful, but those becomes the good stories after.
0: Absolutely. You've traditionally used large walls to do your postings, to hang your art, yet your art is always about bringing walls down between people, breaking them down, getting to these important questions, getting people to consider their own prejudices or to see the world a little differently or get them to communicate with each other. How do you think that will work when the walls you're working with are virtual and only visible through, through an
1: app? Well, through the app, what you do when you walk in the street and you go listen to someone's story is you're breaking a very invisible wall, but that's very important. The biggest walls are within us. They're not necessarily built by states or government. I'll give you an example on a project that I've done around gun control in America. And of course, it would be very hard for an artist to gather people who don't believe the same belief in the same room because, you know, like if you take people who are pro-gun and people are anti-gun and people from the NRA and people like from all sides, they would not accept to be in the same room. Well, I've done the cover of Time magazine a couple of years ago gathering around 250 people that are totally like represent the spectrum of gun in America. I went in different cities to photograph them and interview them. And I composed the image in a way and they knew it that it was like a debate around the table. So if you see the image, you'll see 250 people or 300 people all around like if they were in the same room debating together. And of course, we had to photograph them on green screen and, and then compose it, but they knew they would end up in a mural where there'll be people that they don't agree with. Now what happened after that is that you would think, okay, that's easy uh, because they don't meet. Well, you know, when you gather in the same mural like white supremacists and Black Lives Matter, Black Gun Matter, people from the CIA, people who are hunters, like people who lost close one because of guns, like surgeon. I mean, mayors, everybody was in this mural, a lot for their ego sometimes because they wanted to be on the cover of time mm-hmm. and a lot because they understood, okay, this is a powerful piece of art that could maybe help us communicate better. But everyone came with their own point of view. The moment that those people started talking to each other was actually at the opening. We did a few openings in different museums. Mm-hmm. And at the opening was the moment where each of those people were invited, but they were also invited to come at the opening, have a glass of champagne, come with your family. At those openings were the people that they are not supposed to meet because they also came with a grandma, a grandson, and their friends. And because they were there in the same room, and I said, oh, I hate this guy. But they said, oh, let me hear what he actually say on the app. And they would listen to this story. And we notice many times that those people then would start talking and realize, hey, I you know, I saw that you lost, lost a close one, and you know, this should not happen. It's not because I'm pro-gun that uh, certain things and the conversation would happen. Mm-hmm. And you would think this is impossible, and yet art create that bridge. So the technology helped that because carrying the stories, having them come to some place you know, in the next step of the artwork. When you think the artwork is finished, that's actually when the journey is beginning. Mm.
0: A lot of visual artists consider that the the work should speak for itself. But you seem to be really fascinated in hearing the stories of your subjects and having that be part of the process, be part of the art. Why do you ask people to tell the stories and what role do stories, you know, really play in your mind in your work?
1: We all sometimes would dream to have the courage to just go and tap on anyone's shoulder in the street and ask them, you know, but it's a hard process. It's just like people are afraid to go and talk to each other. It's easier to do it behind a screen and like, you know, than facing each other. And so walking the street, seeing one of those murals and seeing a person clicking on it, it's like an easy process to actually get out there and and, and listen and, and see faces of the community. Remember that this could happen in your neighborhood. Suddenly you recognize your neighbor, you're like, oh, I never spoke to him or her, and then I'm seeing her on the floating mural. let me click uh, and, and see what she says. And I think it's very interesting uh, to see that people, they just sometimes would love to know more about someone, but it's it's that extra step. And I think technology sometimes, sometimes, do a great, st- like a, a, a great part in that to help you, you know, break those boundaries.
0: A polyvocal story is one that honors the many perspectives of a place, rather than trying to tell a single kind of official story. It feels to me that that's what you're doing here, empowering the community to tell their own stories. How do you hope to include a diverse community or attract a diverse community in each city and encourage
1: them to tell their stories? You know, it's never easy because uh, many people saw things, uh, uh, you know, pastings or or art that inspired them, but they don't feel like they could do it. So it always takes one person in that community, in that city, and say, hey, hey, wait, we can do this. And that starts it. And at first that person's like, oh, my God, I have no idea how we're going to do this. And then, you know, it's like, okay, let me talk to my friend. Let me take the photo. I have a phone. Let me just do it with the phone. Right. And then realize that it's so easy. Like, why there's not more people doing it? So sometimes when I look, we have a map here at the studio where we see all the places in the world where we've sent posters. We realize like, oh, okay, why is there no place, like no person in this country that have actually realized that they can do it, that it's free, that they can be part of it. And so that's a long process. It's like word of mouth, you know. But our project is very fragile also because it's not like a business model. If everybody go on the site and ask it for free, then suddenly we'd collapse the project. It's weirdly the fact that people genuinely decide to pay, like half of the people say, Oh no, well participate. You know, we say suggested donation for a poster is, I don't know, eight dollars or something. And then some people say, Well, you know, I could pay five, or I could pay two, or some people say, Well, I could pay twenty. That pays for someone else that couldn't pay. Mm -hmm. But if you say, I can't pay anything, we'll still send you. There's no background check. And so that's the beauty of it. It's like you realize, okay, this project could stop anytime. It's very organic. But it's somehow surviving because people understand the power of it.
0: Are you hoping that the collective group of stories that people leave, since they are so geotagged and located to a particular place, you, you, you can't... See or or hear these stories if you're not in that place, right? You, they are unlocked when you appear there with your phone. Do you hope that they're going to create a collective portrait of that place?
1: Well, the beauty of it is that it do it because it collect those stories and and then over the years, that's what I see with Inside Out and the last thirteen years is we have five hundred thousand people stories and you know statements and photos from around the world and it tells you, it's like a mirror of uh, society and, uh, and, and, you know, of different communities around the world. And I know this new step with JR Reality will be that even at the deeper in a deeper way because you can really record your story. So, you know, we've seen this even when I've done it in prison a couple of years ago in the maximum security prison in California. I've recorded the stories of the inmates, of the victims, of the guards, and people, their children also from the inmates that are in prison listen, and some of them were not visiting their parents for you know, decades, and they're like, oh, wow, I never heard my father speak like that. I never had like 40 minutes with him actually to hear his story, yeah. and there I could just be at home and listen and make my own opinion. And, and a lot of them told me that the biggest impact on the project is that they're reconnected with their family, mm. but also that the guards talk to them differently after because they also heard their story.
0: It's a good comment about the power of personal narratives and the ability to, for stories to create empathy and connection. Exactly. And I'm sure that's a big part of your having added this ability for everyone to leave their own stories in, in the app um you also mentioned just now another really important difference about this project than some of your others traditionally you've worked with paper and glue and the elements wear it away right these these are these are temporal they they come down over time yeah. because of because of being outdoors and this app is meant to be a kind of permanent time capsule that will stay and and you know, not be subject to the to the winds and the rains and the sun. How important is the permanence of this for you?
1: Well, you know, most of my work I've always been used to it is uh, ephemeral, and I'm fine with that because when you see it, you cannot unsee it. It's just in your mind. You remember always that there were some portraits there, but that's of course at some point people will, you know, won't see it. It's just gone, and that's fine. That's why we we document it, we share it, we have books and films and you know but with this the stories can stay and they float there forever and i think that's important because it kind of leaves something that can outlive us and uh, and often that certainly takes a whole other dimension also in the way you share story you know rather that in the very moment it can also have a long-lasting impact
0: i do wonder having done a number of digital projects myself that get outdated as new operating systems come out and have to be maintained in terms of, you know, in, in a digital warehouse someplace, you know, on a server? Are you thinking about that in terms of making sure it stays up for a long, long time?
1: That's going to be um, a big question, of course, because we see it with already, you know, our sites and the number of portraits we collect and the the the, the number of you know, images that we have to collect is yeah. becomes huge. So it's a real question. It's a real question. Uh, I don't know if I have the exact answer for it today, but it's definitely something. As we'll see how the app evolve and how many people participate, and also what's the size of the file we keep. You know, what's necessary. We don't need to have like the highest files ever, and take that in consideration. Also, that it's 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 there to float. It's we don't need to print it, so we don't need a, you know, the highest quality, and so that also I think will change a uh, big time like the way and Niantic is very really good for that for you know going to the you know the, the making sure that it's the best quality with the lowest uh, weight you know and, and then the compression have evolved in an amazing way in this last couple of years. I remember one of my favorite
0: user-generated collaborative projects um, on the internet was the Johnny Cash project uh, that Aaron Koblin and Chris Milk did many years ago. It was so popular. I mean, really hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people contributed cells to create this music video homage to Johnny Cash. But it became an expensive thing for them to maintain and keep up. And if it weren't for one particular company sort of underwriting it, I think it was radical media sort of, paying to maintain that server, oh, wow. the whole thing would just have gone away and there would be no record whatsoever. So we think about digital being in a way timeless, but it also can can be ephemeral too. Exactly. I think about your origins as a kind of graffiti artist and the kind of invisible nature of a graffiti artist. So You, you don't want to get caught, yeah. right? You have, to, you have to be a sleuth in doing it, you know? And I feel like in this project, in this uh, JR. reality project, you are also kind of hidden. Like you're sort of, it feels to me like you're taking yourself out of it, right? Like even the other projects where you have a lot of people collaborating and contributing, you still were kind of the Pied Piper. You're still the leader of the pack, if you will, directing to some degree. And yet here it feels like, you're truly kind of becoming invisible in this. You're really handing it over to the collaborators and and stepping out. Are you trying to become invisible in the art projects you lead? <laughs> yeah, that's a really
1: good point. You're right, that's exactly it. If you think of when I was 14, 15, I was writing my name on wall to say, I'm here, I exist. Right. But then I flipped that by taking people's portraits and to say, they're here, they exist. And then I started traveling around the world in communities... And as I would paste their portraits, they would help me to do it. And I was like, oh, wow, that's even more powerful. Then when I started inside out, I'm like, let me see. If I don't go, will people still do it? Mm-hmm. And I realized, yes, not only they'll do it, but it'll be even more powerful that they did it without me. Because I have nothing to do in their struggle. And if I can help, great. But the truth is, it's much more powerful that it comes from the community directly. And, and so... The more the years pass all the way to this project, the more I try to disappear behind the project. So it's a very uh, you know, point, uh, good point you have there because uh, very discreetly that's what I'm doing. Your work
0: feels to me to be incredibly life-affirming, optimistic, even regenerative. Can you heal the world with paper and glue and pixels
1: and geotags? <laughs> <laughs> My responsibility is to believe in it. And uh, I had enough time where I saw it and proved it, actually, with data and numbers in prison. We, half of the inmates I had in the groups that I took care of got freed after that, and they had life in prison. And so I've seen changes and impact in Brazil and around the world. And so, yes, now I'm, you know, my, my first book, uh, one of my first books was called "Cannot Change the World? You know, and uh, I... I have I have a duty to stay not only optimist but almost utopist, you know, because as artists we have to dream of something that is even not conceivable. And sometimes it actually works, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of it. But it's it's this is why I wake up every day. I don't really have a choice. And the good thing and the good news is actually I see signs every day that shows me that it have an impact. So I'm like, wow. And that's why we take this further.
0: I think for me the, the reason it feels so optimistic and, and so just helpful for the world today a, as these technologies help in a way to or, or contribute to the polarization in our world I feel that your statement is that art is the anecdote to that. Mm. Art is the thing that actually helps to bring people together. The process of making, as you say, the the art is in the process. Mm. So by empowering hopefully hundreds of thousands or millions of people to realize that they're artists, that their stories matter, that they can create and share, that in doing that, it will be this thing that helps to pull people back to realize that our humanity is shared. It's you know what brings yeah. us, what we have in common is exactly. many folds greater than what separates us.
1: Exactly. You know, sometimes it's very little things that are here to remind us that. It's not a huge bridge to cross. It's just, you know, like talking to each other and then listening to each other's stories. And I'll just walk throughout that path, you know, as much as I can. And so I know technology can also divide us. And is doing it. And so... Uh, I don't think that you know we should go against technology, but in, we should use it in a very specific way to make sure it also helps us reconnect each other.
0: Brother, thank you for sharing your story thank with me you. today. Very it's great special. to be connected.
1: <laughs> very special. Thank you for working so hard on making this question very relevant and uh, a fascinating conversation.
0: My sincere thanks to JR and to the team at Superblue. To learn more about JR Reality and download the app, please see the links in the episode's description. And Thank you as well for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider subscribing to the FOSS podcast and leaving us a kind review wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can learn more about our other content and become part of the FOSS family by signing up for our free monthly newsletter at FOST.org. The FOSS podcast is produced by Melcher Media in collaboration with our talented production partner, Charts and Leisure. I hope to see you again soon for another deep dive into the world of storytelling. Until then, please be safe, stay strong, and story on.